a short prayer as we just come and think about um, Palm Sunday a bit together. So shall we pray? Father, we just now ask as we look at your word, as we think about Palm Sunday, um, that we've seen and, and heard a sort of an, a, an acted version of it. We just really pray, Lord, that as we think of this uh, amazing moment or this unique moment in the life of Jesus, that you would speak to us. I pray, open our hearts, we pray, to what you might want to say to us, Father. Um, even if what's heard isn't what's said, I pray you would speak to us your way. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Brilliant. Um, I've always uh, quite enjoyed an optical illusion. As I, as I wrote the line, I've always quite liked an optical illusion on the bit of paper. I thought, how boring does that make me sound? Anyway, I quite enjoy optical illusions. Woo! Yeah, I know, get a life. Anyway, I've got some here. I quite like it when you look at something, but your brain tells you you're looking at something else. So I've got a few. Tell me what you think. Are those lines parallel? Well, you're going to say yes, it's an optical illusion. If you'd never seen it before, you would say they weren't, would you? You'd say they're going clearly non-parallel. That's a phrase, isn't it? Anyway, uh, but they're actually parallel lines. See, it's exciting, isn't it? You can see what I do. Next one, Gavin. Is that, uh, is that your wife or your mother-in-law's face? That's, that's not me that said that. That was the title of the um, picture, by the way. Um, I can only see the beautiful woman, so I can only see Andrea's face, obviously. Um, not that my mother-in-law isn't. Anyway, let's move on. Move on quick. <laughs> uh, a duck or a rabbit? You see the rabbit? No? You don't see the duck? A few people, yeah? You don't see both? Good. That's good. Some very clever people. Were. Next one? Was that it? Was that it? One more? And if you look, if you stare at it, the little circles move. And that's the most exciting thing that's going to happen for the next half an hour. Anyway. <laughs> so I, I kind of like those things. You can take it, take it off now, Gavin, otherwise. Anyway, thanks. Um, but I quite like those things where you look at one thing and you think you're seeing something, but in fact you're seeing something else. And so today is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the beginning of Easter week or Passion Week, as it's often referred to. And this is the beginning. So in just a week's time, we're going to have the cross on Good Friday, and then we're going to have, obviously, Easter Saturday, where no one knows what's going on, where Jesus is dead and in the tomb. And then Easter Sunday is going to come on the third day, and he will rise again. The stone will be rolled away, and Jesus will come back from the dead in that life-changing, history-defining moment. But Palm Sunday that kicked it all off, if you like, that started it all as Jesus rides into Jerusalem, really is a defining moment. And it's a bit like one of those optical illusions because what you see on that donkey, who you see on that donkey riding up to Jerusalem, and we had that sketch with different perspectives on who this Jesus character is, really defines what you see the rest of your life to be like. Perspective matters in life, doesn't it? I read a great, a great, a great quote about um, David and Goliath. Sorry, I'm going to have to laugh at that. Hang on. <laughs> Sorry. I hate... Um, hang on. Andrew's laughing, putting me off. Um, a great quote. That's my Jonathan Ross impression. <laughs> a great quote about perspective. You know the story of David and Goliath in the Old Testament? I'm just going to power through. David and Goliath in the Old Testament. Goliath's this nine-foot giant comes out to attack the Israelites and all the soldiers are terrified and David, this little kid, comes with only a slingshot and just says, oh yeah, I'll take him and throws a stone and, and knocks him out and then, then kills him. And, uh, but perspective matters. And somebody said this about David and Goliath. When Goliath came against the Israelites, the soldiers all thought, he's so big we can never kill him. David looked at the same giant and thought, he's so big I can't miss. And actually... How you see Jesus 
determines everything. Not just how you treat him, but how you go on to live the rest of your life. And so Palm Sunday is a challenge. This Jesus that rides into Jerusalem on a donkey is still alive. Do you see him as a king or do you see him as something else? Would they see him as he rode into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago as a returning king to his own people or would they see him as just some troublemaker? And for some of us here this morning, that's still the choice you have to make. That's still the question you have to answer. Who is Jesus? Because you can't just leave him as some guy that only Christians talk about, some vague historical figure that I can ignore. You can't do it. You haven't got that luxury. He's either the son of God or he isn't. You either accept him as king and bow the knee and follow him or reject him as king. And it's a very clear distinction. Matthew 21, 1 to 11, I'd like to read now. If you've got it in a Bible in front of you, that'd be brilliant to have open. But this is the story of the triumphal entry, they call it, uh, on the story of Palm Sunday. So this is a week before Um, Easter comes to a close. It says in Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11, it says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And this is a really important moment. This is a really important story because it's recorded in all four Gospels. We know that it's clearly a very central moment because each four of the Gospel writers mention this arrival into Jerusalem by donkey, by Jesus. What happens here sets a scene for Easter because in just a few days he will be friendless. He will be accused and he will be nailed to a cross. A complete contrast to what's happening on Palm Sunday. And I guess as those crowds cheered and laid palm branches and cloaks on the road, it would have seemed inconceivable that this Jesus, welcomed as a king, would soon be executed and accused of blasphemy. How quickly life can change. Life changes for us here very quickly too. But our saviour can overcome even the sharpest change and even the steepest decline. A couple of thoughts on Palm Sunday for you this morning. The first thing that really struck me uh, this week, thinking about this topic, was that this was deliberate. What really hits you is that this was deliberate. Jesus means this. He means this reaction from the crowd. In those first three verses, he says to his disciples, go and get this donkey, bring it back. And in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, God had promised his people that one day a king would come to set them free from their enemies. 
in Zechariah chapter 9, this is hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And it goes on to speak about breaking the bond of the oppressors. God's people have been promised the Messiah, that one day this Messiah figure would come, who'd been prophesied throughout the whole of the Old Testament, hundreds, thousands of years before Jesus was born, that one day he would come, he would be God's king, and he would set God's people free. And so as Jesus rides towards Jerusalem, he's saying to his disciples and to everyone that he's that promised king. He means it. This is deliberate. He is making a message. Often Jesus would hide away from crowds. In the three years leading up to this, whenever people wanted to call him king, he would often hide and shy away from any form of public adulation because it wasn't the right time. But a week before Easter, it is the right time. And here this morning, it's the right time again. Jesus is saying to every single one of us that he is God's promised king, that he is the one God promised to send from the beginning of the world, that he is the one that God has sent to bring us freedom, freedom from our wrong, freedom from our guilt, freedom from our pain, and freedom from our hopelessness, freedom from uncertainty, freedom from everything. And he means us all to see him as king this morning and to follow him for the first time. Because this Jesus that we worship week in, week out, is the saviour of the world. He is the only one qualified to be the saviour of the world. Last Sunday we had the privilege of hearing Norma Simons, an East Hearts District Councillor, stand here and tell us her life story. And I tell you, she missed out tons. Because it's a lot to pack in. She went as far low as a person possibly can. And only Jesus Christ saved her. And we heard that and we rejoiced with her. Some of us even shed tears over how wonderful her story was because Jesus is the only one qualified to save us. He is still the king, except we live in a post-Easter world. We know the rest of the story. The people before Good Friday didn't know how it would all end, but we know that he rose from the grave, that he is ascended to heaven, that he will return to judge the living and the dead, that he is Lord of all. And that true freedom can come only through a true saviour, Jesus the Christ. It was a deliberate act, but it was also provocative. The second thing that really struck me was that actually this is um, something that was designed to get some reactions from the crowd. And there were two clear, not three, there were two clear reactions from the crowd. The first was worship. They shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But if you flick over to Luke chapter 19, verse 39, there's also resentment from those who are religious, ironically, But that was the case. It says in verse 39 of Luke 19, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to be quiet. Shut them up. They shouldn't shout like that. Yeah, why wouldn't you shout of your king if he's your king? But we see this tension around Jesus. He was a polarizing figure. And we get a hint of the trouble that's to come in just a few days' time. 
Jesus is being deliberately provocative. And I think it's really important for us to flag up as Christians in the West because we are sometimes guilty of sanitizing and softening our Savior. Forgetting that he was the world's most dynamic and powerful man who ever lived. When people met Jesus, they did not have the option of being blasé. Well, whatever. Who cares? You could be, you might not be, whatever. I'm not bothered. You were either for him or you were against him. You either followed him or you resisted him. You either loved him or you hated him. There was no middle ground. There is no middle ground when it comes to Jesus Christ. I heard someone say of the church something quite damning a few years ago. This person said that the church has managed to take the most dynamic, unique, powerful figure who has ever lived and make him boring. Ouch. Jesus shot things up. He challenged authority. He broke procedure. He made the self-righteous and the arrogant uncomfortable. We should love it. We should love it. Because that's our saviour. That's our model. That's the person we follow. And I think there's something we're supposed to learn from that. Not to be troublemakers, because the world has enough of those. And Jesus wasn't a troublemaker. But what Jesus did was challenge injustice, speak up against hypocrisy, speak up out against darkness, and he stood with those who were downtrodden. And the church ought to be the voice that challenges the status quo rather than glibly go along with everyone else. We ought to be the ones proclaiming the truth and the gospel, even if our culture doesn't particularly want to hear it, because it needs to hear it, because Jesus is the hope of the world. We need to shed the temptation of always being nice and instead start being holy and serving our God. It was a deliberate, provocative act The third thing that really struck me was that this was an act designed to reveal who he was. He was doing this to show the crowd that he was both the promised king and the Messiah they'd been waiting for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. And the actions of the crowd show that they get it. They uh, put their cloaks on the floor back in 2 Kings, chapter 9, verse 13. King Jehu, who was... um, crowned king people put their cloaks on the floors a sign of sort of homage that you know even the the horse should get the donkey should get dirty and set set like a red carpet at oscars event and here they are doing the self same thing to jesus they're recognizing him as king and they understand that link to zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 that he is the messiah they quote deliberately psalm 118 verses 25 to 26 when they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is a messianic promise in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, that would be a recognized promise that he would come, this Messiah would come in the name of the Lord. And they quote that, the crowd, because they get that he is he, the King and the Messiah. And the religious authorities are irritated and shocked and they tell him to get his disciples to be quiet to shush them up to tell them to be quiet and this shows us that the world is in two camps there are those that see jesus as king and those who refuse to who simply will not and i wonder what you see this morning when you hear of jesus christ let me ask you a question if you're not sure what if What if he's more than that historical bloke that Christians go on about? 
What if he's more than just a good moral teacher? What if he's more than a a fancy miracle worker that lived 2,000 years ago? What if he's God's only son? What if he did indeed die on the cross for yours and my sin? And what if he did rise from the dead on the third day? What if? What does that actually mean for your life and mine? And so as Jesus enters Jerusalem, he's actually a king coming into his own city. And as he enters the gates of Jerusalem, what does he see? Well, he finds injustice, first of all, in verse 12 to 13. It says, as Jesus entered the temple courts, he drove out um, and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables and the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said, my house should be called a house of prayer but you are making it a den of robbers. When people went to worship God in the Old Testament, they had to come and buy an animal to sacrifice, they had to change up their money for the particular currency in the temple. And so people were ripping off the poor as they came to worship God. And as the king arrives at his city, he sees this and consumed with zeal for God's honor. He drives out injustice. Christ drives out injustice. I wonder if God's people still are so exercised about injustice in their towns and cities, and in fact, our entire world. As he enters Jerusalem, he finds injustice. He also finds religious resentment. In verse 18, um, well, sorry, we read earlier on, didn't we, how they, they say to him, get your disciples to be quiet. Shush. These leaders that tell Jesus to get his disciples to quieten down are hypocrites. They're self-righteous. They're the self-righteous. They love the accolades and the status of their position instead of humbly serving their God. And so when Jesus arrives, holy and perfect, he reveals their true character and it comes shining through. And what they show us is the extent to which humanity will go to keep their positions of power. They will lie and scheme until Thursday evening of that next week that will lead to the crucifixion of God's only son. He finds religious resentment, injustice. He also finds the broken. I love this. In verse 14, it says, The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. Just one little throwaway line in amongst all this activity. Jesus knows he's going to be nailed to a cross. He knows he's going to have a crown of thorns jabbed on his head. He knows he's going to be punched and kicked and abandoned by all of his friends, yet he still takes time to heal the sick and show compassion on the broken. Jesus always will have time for you. He will always have time and compassion, no matter what is going on in the world. And finally, as he enters Jerusalem, Sadly, he finds half-hearted disciples because come Good Friday, this crowd who shouted so loudly Hosanna will be conspicuous in their absence as another crowd shout even louder, crucify him and cheer at his death. Those that once shouted Hosanna will now say nothing. And it's a real challenge to us, isn't it? We may raise our hands in worship. We may lift our voices in prayer. We may now have Bibles back to front. But will we stand up for our king when it matters the most? And so I guess Palm Sunday just has two challenges this morning. Number one, who do you see in Jesus Christ? Is he real? Is he God's only son? And is he the king of kings? 
And I guess the second question is perhaps even more challenging. What might that mean for your life if he is any of those things? What might you need to lay down this morning at his feet like those palm leaves and the cloaks? What in our lives do we need to put at the feet of Jesus under his authority to live his way? Do you or I really bow the knee to Jesus Christ as the king above all kings? And that's really the challenge of Palm Sunday. The same challenge every year. Will you let him in to your life? Will you know his love for the first time, his compassion, his goodness, his grace? And will we lay our whole life before him and let him be the king he died to be for us? Let's pray. Father God, we just lift up, Lord, these thoughts to you. Lord, we know that across this world, Lord, I guess every single church will be marking and talking of Palm Sunday. Father God, may your church be just like its saviour. May we show the same compassion and patience, but Lord, may we also show, show real zeal against injustice, Father, not to be troublemakers, but to be those who stand where others would give up, to stand for what's right, to stand as followers of the King of Kings. And Lord, I thank you that as Jesus entered Jerusalem, he knew he was going to his death. He knew, Lord, what would happen on Friday. He knew, Lord, how it would be nailed to that cross. But he went, Lord, with joy, the Bible says. He went to pay the ultimate price to die for our sin. I thank you, Lord, that no matter who we are, how far we've fallen or not, he is the only one qualified to be our saviour. I thank you, Lord, that he has time for every single one of us. I pray this in his name. Amen.